Welcome to the North and South of Things podcast, a show dedicated to discussion of topics important to the LGBT community and the community at large. Here are your hosts, Mark and George. Hey kids, welcome to the first episode, the premiere episode of the North and South of Things. Uh, good morning, I, this is George in Atlanta, and joining me is your other host, Mark, a.k.a. the Laughing Buddha. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. It's a lovely, sunshiny day with a little fresh rain shower, but now we have sunshine and clouds, so just a beautiful Saturday morning. So, good morning. Ditto here in Atlanta. Um, before we get started, I think we've got a few thanks. Yeah, we do. Uh, let's start with first thanking the entire um, Pride 48 family. We are uh, thrilled to be launching our first episode of this new podcast on the Pride 48 network. And uh, we've been obviously listening to Pride 48 podcasters and participating in events for quite a while. And it's an amazing opportunity to uh, to to dabble in the, the art of the podcast and uh, to make lots of new friends and wonderful uh, family, if you will. And we also want to acknowledge, and we'll read the list later, but we want to acknowledge those in the chat room. We'll talk with you shortly. Uh, and we also want to acknowledge those who are listening on Pride48.com uh, who may not be in the chat room. But if you are listening to Pride48.com and listening uh, just know that you can go to the website and there's a chat feature there and you can uh, create a, a quick username and log in. So we'd look forward to having you in the chat room. Um, and some special thanks. I uh, want to thank Daniel Brewer and Adam Burns, the founders of Pride 48, uh, for all of their hard, amazing work over the years. Uh, I want to thank uh, especially Big Fatty for encouraging us and nudging us along in this process of starting a new podcast. Uh, and special technology thanks to John Ong. His uh, expertise with NiceCast and Apple are unabound. Uh, and Romo as well, who helped me uh, solve one or, one or more crises in the last week. So um, thanks to those folks. Who, who am I forgetting, Mark? Well, um, you know, I don't think we're forgetting anyone. But, you know, this is such a vibrant community. And there's been so much support. Um, so... We would like to take this opportunity to kind of direct your attention to the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of the pride48.com website because, as you know, we have two very big events that happen throughout the year. We have this live streaming event that happens in June and then, of course, the live event from Vegas. And let's, let's not couch things. These things take money. They take time. And uh, there have been a lot of people who work very hard on this, especially uh, the founders of Pride 48 being Daniel and Adam. And so I would like to appeal to you and make a special request that you go to the website and take the time and put out a few shekels because uh, it is expensive and we don't want to put the load of uh, the financial commitments uh, onto just a, a couple of different people. Let's uh, spread it out. That's how things happen on public radio and that's how things happen here. So I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to thank you for doing that. And every $5 that you do donate will put your name in the hat for some of the fabulous prizes that will be given away in Las Vegas later this year in August. Now, that is surely a, an NPR <laughs> fundraiser. Uh, will there be tote bags? Uh, 
Well, you know, I had a BFO tote bag, and I was looking for it the other day, and I can't find the damn thing. So, uh, Big Fatty, uh, you still owe me a prize for being one of the magic callers, and if you have another tote bag, please send it to me. That would be awesome. I believe he's out of tote bags. I think I've heard that before. <laughs> oh, he needs to do another special print run or something. I hear you. Well, kids, before we get into the show, just wanted to give you a little bit of background about, um, you know, Mark and I started talking uh, several months ago about what we were enjoying in the podcasting, both in and outside of the Pride 48 family. And we started thinking about what a show would look like if, you know, we did together. And what we love uh, doing our shows about... Um, Single. I think what we're going to enjoy doing are shows about a single topic. Just be focused on one topic and for that particular episode, and then examine that from sort of all angles. Hence the name North and South. Uh, it's not necessarily a play on our geographies, although Mark is in the North and I'm in the South. Um, it's not necessarily a play on, on that, but uh, we may occasionally delve into those sort of regional differences that everybody likes to talk about as a particular episode. So, uh, Mark, any other thoughts? Um, I, no, I think you kind of encapsulated. Uh, we really like to broaden the discussion. A lot of the discussion and things that happen on the internet seem to be rather shallow. They need they only deal with the kind of the top line sort of reactionary things. And I I know I've often been frustrated with online discussions happening where. You know, the sense of respect and the sense of civility are totally gone and out the window. I think you can see this being played out in our political discussions that are happening right now in our country, uh, where it is totally reactionary and there's just a lot of noise and screaming at each other. And uh, what I'd like to see happen is more of a respectful approach uh, to coming to sensitive topics like race, like violence, like technology, like aging, um, and especially those things that play out within our LGBT community. Um, well said. So, well said. And so that's what I'd like to see. Wonderful. Um, all right. Shall we? Let's begin. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Uh, today we're going to be talking about... Pride. And as you know, November 2nd, 1969 in New York was the very first gay pride parade that happened in New York City. And this was after Stonewall. And, uh, you know, pride has become sort of this thing that happens every year. And so today we want to talk about our personal experiences with pride. Uh, we're going to talk about Pride Past, Pride Present, and Pride Future. And, but first, George is going to share an interview segment with a Pride leader in Atlanta uh, that he put together very quickly, and he's going to play that now. Great, Mark. Uh, the, we had a chance to talk with uh, Buck Cook, who's the executive director of the Atlanta Pride uh, Festival, and he is um, an amazing uh, leader for that group. It's a small staff of, I think, less than five. I think it's like three. Um, but you, as you can imagine, a Pride event of this size in Atlanta, which I believe is one of the larger uh, Prides, I think it's eclipsed, obviously, by New York and San Francisco and probably Chicago. I'm not sure. But I, we regularly have two to 300,000 people uh, to attend the Pride Festival uh, and Parade Day. So I know it's a, it's a huge 
uh, opportunity for folks regionally as well as those who come from around the country. So we thought it might be a good, uh, uh, good opportunity to talk with him and get his perspective on uh, the Pride event, Pride event this year, but also uh, where, where they see Pride going in the future. I will say this is a, um, this is a uh, portion of the full interview. We didn't want to air the entire 30-minute interview on today's uh, episode, but I will have that on a special Pride episode of Georgia and Atlanta for those who want to hear the full thing. But uh, this is an abbreviated version of it, so enjoy. We're here with Buck Cook, the Executive Director of Atlanta Pride. Buck, thanks for joining us today. Brilliant. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Buck, so it's the 45th year of the Atlanta Pride Festival, and um, beginning in 1970, doesn't that make Atlanta's uh, Pride event one of the longest running in, in the nation? We are uh, one of the older events um, of our kind. Uh, Boston, Atlanta, um, New York, San Francisco, a number of cities um, across the U.S. Um, commemorated the first anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising uh, in the summer of 1970. And so um, while Atlanta Pride as an organization is not 45 years old, um, the, the commemoration of that anniversary and the event that we now know as the Atlanta Pride Festival, this is the 45th year of that. So we're very happy to celebrate that uh, milestone uh, in Atlanta. That's great. Do you guys communicate with the other uh, original four or five cities? Does that ever ha- Do you ever have an opportunity to do that? We do. We're a part of an organization called Interpride, which is the global um, organization of pride organizers. And uh, we go to regional conferences for the southeast, and sometimes we actually travel to the northeast as well because we have a lot uh, in common logistically with uh, larger events like Capital Pride in D.C., uh, Boston Pride, New York Pride, et cetera. So we, um, we're uh, a part of that organization, and then we also um, have had um, a lot of folks from our organization who have been involved in the leadership of Interpride um, over the years. We have uh, several past presidents. Um, that are a part of Atlanta Pride's current membership and uh, several past uh, international executive board members of Interpride as a part of um, our organization. So it's something that we're very um, we're very committed to um, the Pride movement uh, on the whole. That's wonderful. That's great. As we turn to uh, this year's activities, of course, folks who are familiar with Atlanta Pride know that we have two uh, two schedules. We've got the Stonewall Month uh, June with a whole bevy of activities. And then we've got our festival and parade that happens on October 10th and 11th. What, uh, what new or returning signature events can folks expect to see this year? Well, some of the old favorites that folks uh, really enjoy will be back, such as the parade, uh, the dike march, the trans march Um, uh, for the festival. We'll still have uh, two stages of entertainment going, the Bud Light stage and the Coke stage and Piedmont Park. Um, But we also have uh, some new events that have come on board the last couple of years. Uh, We have a college fair that we host in cooperation with an organization called Campus Pride, and they are an organization that works across uh, North America to help uh, LGBTQ and allied college students Um, whether it's working with student organizations, working with um, uh, particular administrative policies at the universities, um, lots of different resources um, geared towards college students. And so they, a number of years ago, started hosting college fairs and invited any colleges and universities that were LGBTQ friendly and LGBTQ welcoming, be that maybe, um, you know, an LGBTQ family with parents um, who are not uh, of um, you know a heterosexual couple, um, or it could be a student who's LGBTQ, uh, and so that has something that has spread across um, the country, and they have a number of those across um, across the U.S. And so this will be our 
I believe it's our third or fourth year hosting that college fair, so that will be back. Um, we started a new program last year with a collaboration with the Georgia State Schools Coalition for a Youth Empowerment Zone. Um, that went over very well, and so that will be back again at the festival this year. Buck, what message would you have to share with previous Pride attendees um, who may have stopped attending events or feel like you know it doesn't longer, you know, no longer has anything to offer? I mean, I think you've kind of answered that question with the new exciting events. But what what message would you share with those who might just uh, not be as excited or, or not have the energy to, to get out there and, and uh, or to come to town uh, and, and partake of these uh, activities? I would tell them that our, um, along with many other pride organizations and pride events um, across um, across North America, I would say that our organization and our event are very different than we used to be. Um, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people feel like, oh, I went to Pride, I used to go and I used to party, and now I don't do that anymore. Um, and there's nothing wrong with coming to Pride and having a great time. And, and my, of course, very biased opinion, I think we throw one of the best parties um, around, uh, not just only in Atlanta, but across the southeast and uh, one of the best Pride events in the country. And so um, I think that people, um, if they're just coming for that, they're missing um, – Honestly, probably about 80% of what's going on. We have a number of programs, a number of um, offerings for folks that have um, lots of different uh, dynamics related to them. It could be related to faith. It could be related to um, social activism. It could be related to just learning about community organizations. A lot of people say, you know, oh, I've done the market. Um, I've already walked through there. Um, you know, but we have new vendors that come on board every year. We have new organizations uh, that come on board every year, um, you know, just like the parade. We have a parade every year, and the parade's been going on since 1972, um, for the most part. And so, but the parade is very different from year to year. Um, the parade is very different now than it was five years ago. It's very different than it was ten years ago. And so, um, you know, I would just encourage folks to have an open mind and to take a look at. Um, our website, AtlantaPride.org, as we're leading into the festival and seeing some of the things that we're offering, um, not just at the festival, but also year-round. We, um, a lot of folks don't know that we do programming throughout the, the whole year, and so mm -hmm. we're always looking for ways that we can um, convene people together and, and kind of be the, for lack of a better word, the big tent right. um, that, uh, that people can come to and, and, and get connected with other organizations um, to get connected with um, you know, other opportunities within the Atlanta community um, uh, to, you know, whether it's getting involved in a political organization or getting involved in um, a nonprofit or a faith community, um, finding out a new business to patronize that's LGBTQ friendly or LGBTQ mm -hmm. owned. Um, there's a lot of different opportunities that are out there um, that exist to, um, to benefit folks. And so, um, you know, I think that if they are really thinking about kind of what it used to be like, um, you know, even, you know, five years ago, mm -hmm. it's still um, very different. Very evolving, it sounds like, too. With so much um, popular approval of things like marriage equality, it, how important is it to continue events like Pride? Have we won? Is it over? <laughs> I, I don't think we've won. Um, social equality, illegal equality, and lived equality are all very different things. And so 
if tomorrow we get full legal equality in the United States of America as LGBTQ people, that would be fantastic. And that would really free up a lot of time and resources that we could then spend on doing other things uh, in the LGBTQ community. But the fact of the matter is just flipping a switch and getting full legal equality, as wonderful as that would be, that is not going to solve all of our issues. We still need um, workplace protections for LGBTQ people. Uh, We still need housing, uh, fair housing uh, protections for LGBTQ people. Um, You know, a lot of gay families are threatened by um, anti-LGBTQ legislation um, in different states Mm -hmm. related to taking away um, adopted children or foster children from LGBTQ homes. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that we still need to be very mindful yeah. of and still need to be very aware of. And it's a, it's um, a silly you know. it's a silly question on my part. I'm asking facetiously, obviously, because it's never going to be, quote, over uh, or you're never going to, quote, win, even with the dawn and possibly today or next Monday with an announcement about marriage equality. We're already hearing from some uh, conservative groups that they plan a Roe v. Wade type battle over the next decades. So Correct. It, it, it's not ever over. But uh, and. and I, it's a question I get a lot of times from people who aren't uh, terribly familiar with pride events and like, wow, yeah. in today's world, and, is it still necessary? And again, even if all those things happen, mm-hmm. um, you know, the fact that there are still people who are coming out, whether it's at age 75 or age 15, there are still people that are coming out as some as someone who's trans, as someone who's bisexual, as someone who's lesbian, as someone who's gay, who identifies at any point in that um, the uh, diversity spectrum within our community, people are still coming out every single day. There are people that are still having that same aha moment when they come to their first Pride event, just like I did when I came to Atlanta Pride mm-hmm. in 1999. It blew my mind to see that many LGBTQ people together in one space and to see all of the things that were available to me and available to the community. And it's one of the main reasons I moved to Atlanta was coming to that event, seeing that, and it really changed my life. And I never dreamt that it would be something that I would get to do as my full-time job job. You know, um, I loved volunteering with Atlanta Pride when I was a volunteer um, and getting to to work, you know, on staff has just been a huge honor. So, um, you know, we're still always going to have those folks, you know, whether they're from small town America or, they're, um, you know, it doesn't matter where they're from, um, you know, it really, um, it, we really have to remember that there are still people doing all these things for the first time. There are right. still people who exactly. don't know where to go. So, yes, the Internet is here now for folks. And, you know, it doesn't matter, again, if you're, you know, mar- a married father of four to figure out how to tell your wife you're gay or how to tell your wife you're trans. Um, you have a- additional uh, resources available through the Internet that you didn't really have um, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but by the same token, it's still scary. It's still hard. You still need a community. You still need a sense of support, and you still need to know that there are people there and resources there that will help you through this and have your back. And that's what a Pride Festival does. That's what programming to create yeah. a sense of community um, does. That's great. Well, that was a uh, portion of the interview we did with uh, Buck Cook, executive director of Atlanta Pride. Um, and again, it was, uh, he was very gracious with his time. I actually had scheduled the interview one day and then had some technology challenges. Imagine that. Um, and, and had to reschedule. He was very gracious uh, to do that. And you can hear the rest of that uh, interview at uh, georgeatlanta.com uh, on Pride Weekend next weekend. It won't be released till then. Um, some interesting thoughts, Mark, from uh, from Buck. Um, 
pretty wise beyond his years. He's a pretty young guy. Um, he's actually leaving um, the Atlanta Pride, which you'll hear on the full um, full interview. Uh, he's leaving Atlanta Pride, moving to London, getting married, uh, and they've they've brought on a new uh, um, uh, young lady to lead that group. I think it's going to be uh, continue to grow the event. Well, it it sounds like Buck has really uh, taken a leadership role in the Atlanta Pride event and has made it a, a very vibrant uh, and healthy place. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Pride experiences. Tell me, tell me, George, what was your first Pride experience like? Well, I'm having some difficulty remembering if this was the first. I think it was. My first Pride event um, was actually uh, in New York City in 1994, um, which was a very nice way to experience your first Pride. Um, It was 1994, you may recall, was also the 25th anniversary of Stonewall. And it also happened but to have uh, New York City had won the Gay Games. So that weekend, or week rather, uh, you had three major, um, m- huge milestones uh, happening at the same time in New York City. And I was just literally in a state of guffaw the entire time. I'm pretty sure my mouth was just, I mean, like, it's my first gay event. It's my first pride. It's And actually, I believe that was my first time in New York City. It was um, more than I could actually handle. Um, I got a little starstruck. There was... Um, in a city that big, you know, I, I think it's it's a lot of focus on the partying. It's a lot of focus on the parade. I'm sure they had a, a plethora of educational events and different uh, events for different uh, letters of the alphabet, LGBT, Q&A. Um, but for us, it was um, I, I didn't get into any of the educational components or anything of that nature. I, I did go to several of the parties and dances. We, we attended one event where Jimmy Somerville of the Communards, I believe, um, saying Kathy and Jimmy uh, introduced him. Um, I remember being out and about in, um, oh gosh, um, one of the, what's the, what's the, what's the big gay community? Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village. Thank you. We were in Greenwich Village and uh, a big limo pulled up and um, Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger got out. Was it Kim Basinger? He was married to briefly, I think, Uh, got out of a limo and we shrieked like women um, and so, can, the, can you imagine having cell phones back then? Oh my God! What, what what pictures you might have been able to capture at that point? I sadly have lost most of the pictures I had. You know, I think I took like a disposable camera. I, you know, there was no digital camera. I don't think di- digital's didn't exist. DSLRs didn't exist. Yeah, no, not 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 at that point. It was amazing. Um, it was probably not your typical. Pride event. I have subsequently attended Pride in uh, San Francisco, uh, Key West, um, one on um, in Myrtle Beach. Um, but my favorite, I would have to say, is Atlanta Pride. I've been um, I've been going to Atlanta Pride since the New York trip, and Atlanta also also used to have one of the circuit parties called Hot Atlanta. That was surely all about partying. Um, but Atlanta is really where I felt, in fact, it is Atlanta pride, uh, that it was the driving force, uh, in me moving to Atlanta. Uh, it's been, uh, a very interesting event. And then, you know, I keep refer- referencing the interview, but one of the things we talk about is the fact that Atlanta pride has moved from June to October, which 
bothers me. Uh, you can hear more about that in the interview. The and it doesn't look like it's going to be brought back anytime soon. Uh, but I feel very strongly about this this weekend, the last weekend in June, June twenty eighth, honoring the Stonewall event um, and and the Stonewall riot. And I feel strongly that that you know, that's what makes me so excited about participating in Pride forty eight uh, this weekend. Is you know it is about honoring those people who who dared to stand up. You know. Uh, and it was it, it was an amazing time um, in the early 90s to to learn about yourself, learn about um, the pride community, learn about the gay community in Atlanta. It was an amazing time. How about you? What was your first experience? Um, my experience was in Minneapolis, also around the years 1993 to 95, somewhere around there. Um, it was and still takes place in Loring Park. Uh, which is a lovely little park in uh, downtown Minneapolis that actually has grown from um, a gay men's cruising area into a very gentrified, beautiful park. And every year, uh, Pride is celebrated in Loring Park. So I want to take you back to around 1993. At this point, I'm kind of in between. I had... I had uh, completed my Associate of Arts degree at a community college. Um, I was still finding myself. Uh, I knew that I was gay at this point, and I was involved in theater, and I had close friends who knew about me, but I was still living at home at that point, and I hadn't finished my bachelor's degree at that point. Uh, but I felt that I needed to take the next step in my own growth as a gay man and attend my first Pride. So I asked an ally of mine, uh, Marguerite, who is a very dear friend of mine and is a straight ally, and I asked her if she would go to Pride with me because I had never been, and... So it was a a very, I remember it being a very warm, hot day, and uh, we met, and we went to the festival, and there were a lot of nonprofit organizations, and there were vendors, and it was a little bit smaller than it is today. It has really grown throughout the years, and I remember running into people that I knew and being a little bit self-conscious about that, feeling a little bit awkward. But as the day progressed, I felt more and more comfortable. And I was able to kind of connect with some organizations that kind of supported, uh, you know, Buck mentions in, in the interview about connecting with a faith community at this point. I was still wrestling with religion, and I grew up and was uh, raised as Roman Catholic. And I got connected with uh, an organization, and it's a nationwide organization. It's headquartered in uh, Washington, D.C., called Dignity. And Dignity Twin Cities is a chapter that's been around for decades. And I was able to connect with some people there that were supportive, that were saying, you know, no, you are not an evil, sick individual, but you are a child of God, a, you know, a wonderful human being, and you should be able to 
both acknowledge your religious upbringing and celebrate and worship in a respectful, uh, supportive, gay-friendly, gay-approving experience. So it was was good in that I was able to kind of get connected there. And Mm -hmm. then, of course, we proceeded on to the parade. And that parade... Uh, happened on Nicolet Avenue, and I remember it very, very like it was yesterday. And I'm sure everyone has had this, and you probably had a similar experience while you were in New York, about seeing all of these people expressing themselves in ways that are just so joyous and amazing, Mm -hmm. but you know, kind of scandalous. Um, you know, we have the stereotypes of the, you know, the made-up drag queens with the big hair and the platform shoes. And, you know, there's always a float that's uh, sponsored by one of the local gay bars that have all the go-go dancers, you know, that are just wonderfully dressed and or not dressed, as the case may be. <laughs> and... Um, I remember very vividly a drag queen that was kind of made up like Daisy Duke. She had on these very short, short denim shorts and this kind of this crossover halter top midriff um, top that she was wearing. And she had the big hair and the makeup but wound around her neck and her shoulders and her arms was probably an eight-foot boa constrictor. Oh, my God. And so we're... Run away, run away! (laughs) We're watching uh, the parade, and, of course, the media is out, and they're covering this event. And I get home later, and my mother is watching the nightly news. And at this point, she is not aware that her middle son is gay and has attended his first pride parade. And uh, part of me was worried that, you know, she was going to need to see me, uh, you know, along the curb. But on every network everywhere was the same visual depiction of this scantily clad, mm-hmm. big haired, made up drag queen with a boa constrictor and the you know the announcers were really kind of disrespectful and this is the time where you know uh the media was covering pride more in the vein of a uh, freak show rather than um what it has become and evolved to today which is this is just who we are so that was my first experience and uh she made some comment, and of course, I didn't take that opportunity at that time to basically come out. But I did later on, probably another four years later. I um I I, I think a lot of folks have had very similar, especially the first experience you had. There is nothing like the first Pride. Um, it is it is an overwhelming, and it doesn't have to be in a New York City. I mean, it can be in in a lot of small places, and still that first opportunity to gather with people who are like you, um, who have been shunned for years, decades, 
um, and you're not in a dark CD bar. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with being in a dark CD bar, uh, but you're out in the light of day and you're sharing good times and friends and events with people. I don't think there's anything like it. And I, I kind of feel sorry for folks. Um, I kind of feel sorry for these young kids. Like, you know, they've, they've grown up in, in probably the openest society we've seen, uh, you know, since, uh, since our ever, basically. And, you know, so they, it's much more accepting. They don't, I don't know that they get the the sort of real experience that, that we connected with on our first, uh, our first pride events. Um, exactly. How do you think, um, pride events have changed over the years? Well, uh, I have seen, you know, I've been to many prides and I, and I actually, I struggle with this. Uh, you know, Buck mentions your, your question to Buck, about, you know, what do you tell people who are pride fatigued or who just don't have the energy to participate in pride? And I go back and forth uh, about this kind of almost every year. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But some of the changes that I have seen is uh, it's really grown. Um, Minneapolis is probably one of the larger events of course, it's not number one or two. I think it's fifth, uh, if memory serves. But it is a huge uh, undertaking that happens every June. And some of the changes that I've seen is over time, um, there are kind of less and less nonprofit organizations that are service-oriented, and there are more corporations, more businesses, more political groups. Um, there are more vendors. Uh, I, I tell you, the, the food and beverage section of the Minneapolis Pride celebration has, has really changed. And I'm not, not sure it's for the better. Uh, you know, right. there is now a, you know, a beer garden that happens mm. Um, on the Pride Festival grounds. And, you know, we could probably talk about uh, the party aspect right. and, you know, um, imbibing of alcohol. So, right. yeah, you do you do find some people stumbling around. Um, <laughs> just a few. <laughs> just a few. Well, do you, th um, do you think they serve more of, uh, you know, my observation has been in Atlanta that um, they are maturing as a group and uh, as an event, and it seems like they serve more richly the uh, letters, the, the other letters of the alphabet, the LGBTQA. It feels like there's a richer experience for the trans community and, and the lesbian community and the families uh, who, who aren't necessarily in one of the letters in the alphabet. Um, and even the allies, there's a lot of uh, external events that, um, with the faith community, et cetera. Do, do, do you see that in Minneapolis? Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that has really kind of warmed my heart and one of the positive aspects that I see in the growth of the Minneapolis Pride experience is seeing young families, uh, you know, partners with kids, in baby strollers or, you know, up on their shoulders yeah. and young children. And they're just being normal families and seeing young people who are in their, you know, early teens, mid-teens, early 20s, 
um, not having had that experience of having to hide themselves. Uh, I know Wit in the chat room brought up a very good point about, you know, there are GLBT people who have had the experience of not, you know, they've always had pride. Right. Whereas right. you and I, we, we, we haven't. We had to find it. And some of these young people, that's all they know is that pride, is that support, is that being able to be themselves at such an early and younger age. And I just, it, it just warms my heart that, you know, we're taking the, this next step in, you know, families being families, partners being partners, loving people, loving and supporting each other. What do you think? Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I and you know, <laughs> on one hand, I'm very happy and excited. On the other hand, I feel like we're old. <laughs> oh, you kids um, got it lucky. When we were your age, we had to go. <laughs> okay, well, I tell you one thing. It, it happened two years ago. Um, I was uh, taking my first steps into the park after struggling with myself, saying, ah, "I want to go. I don't want to go." And uh, this older gentleman um, came up to me and shoved this piece of paper in my hand that basically said, um, he goes, I think this might, uh, this might appeal to you. And <laughs> it happened to be for a social club of uh, older men. Uh, <laughs> and oh uh, it was like, part of me was like, extremely offended that I had gotten this at the tender age of 46 <laughs> or 45. Right. And, uh, but you know, the other thing is, you know what, we're all getting older yeah. and, um, it's just a fact of life. So, uh, that was, uh, a very interesting experience that happened to me. What do you think? Um, Let's talk a little bit about you. You hit on the substance abuse. Um, I, it's another point that's not lost on me that the the great thing about kids being able to live in a more open society um, is, is that they don't have to find their way to the dark bar. Um, and connected to that is if it, if you're not going out to be with friends at mm-hmm. age, you know, from age nineteen, twenty, twenty one up, it seems to me that you're less likely to develop. Um, you know, alcoholism or, or abuse drugs or in, in that scenes that, that can sometimes dominate that scene. That's a real overgeneralization. And there's plenty of people who, you know, don't uh, abuse that scenario and, and are and have been going for decades and are fine. But uh, it does it does. I think it warms my heart a little bit to know that there's an option. You don't have to go to a bar to meet folks if that's not your scene. You, you've got other options today. Exactly. And well, as you know, Hazelden uh, was founded here in Minnesota, and there is a large recovery community within both the larger community, but also um, I noticed in the past that there were specific kind of uh, advertisements in our gay press uh, about uh, GLBT-centered uh, treatment and recovery facilities. And um, I'm sure you've heard of Wanda Wisdom. I have. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's been a part of recovery for a long time. 
I, you know, I, I think substance abuse plays an interesting role in, uh, in the GLBT community. Uh, and, you know, we might save that as a topic later on, but there is um, a thing that happens when you live in a society that basically uh, wants to dismiss you or erase you or to say that you're disordered. And uh, sometimes the only way that you can kind of numb that pain is to turn towards, you know, alcohol or drugs. And, you know, that's, that's a human experience. And, you know, um, I don't think we're any different than any other human being who experiences pain. But uh, I think it's part of our history. It's part of our past. It's also part of our present. And we really need to, I think we could value some discussion around that topic of substance abuse. You know, Buck had mentioned that Atlanta throws one of the best parties, you know, mm -hmm. during Pride. And uh, Minneapolis is no different. But uh, more and more, I, in my past, I went out to clubs, I went to bars, but that's not kind of who I am at the moment. So I really don't have that experience. Mm -hmm. And so some some of us who attend some of these Saturday night street parties, block parties, uh, or bar parties, or dances, or raves, or whatever they happen to be, kind of come away by saying, my God, everyone who's attending around here is blown out of their mind with something and is this who we are? And that that's a that's a question. Yeah. Is do we want to depict ourselves as this party segment of the gay community? Or do we want to say, you know, we're just a community, we have our problems, this is an issue, we should at least acknowledge it. Yeah, and I think my my experiences with Pride have evolved, um, much like you, and much like probably a lot of the listeners. I, you know, certainly went out a lot more when I was younger. Uh, enjoyed that scene a lot more when I was younger. It's not, it's not a draw for me right now. Um, I see in Atlanta that evolving with the Pride. You just didn't. I mean, there were um, educational events and other events aimed at sort of the non-partying crowd in years past, but it is. It is so much more balanced now, um, and there are times when I see a lot more about faith events and a lot more about the parade and a lot more about things other than partying that I feel like it. I feel like it is evolving. Um, is it you know? Is it balanced enough? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I do. I do feel like it. It too, um, much like the pride uh, environment itself. I do think like it's uh, it's evolving. Um, and I hope it. I hope it continues to. I mean, I, I do. You know, people have a right to celebrate and cheer and have a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you? Um, what did you think about Buck's comments about the need for pride moving forward? Do you? Do you? Do you, do you think we actually have moved to a period of acceptance that it's kind of no longer needed? You know, I think if you would have asked me this question last week. Um, I may have said uh, we, that we don't need it, that, you know, 
we've reached a point in our society where it's fairly accepted and and we don't but you know some of the points that he brought up are very valid and it it kind of makes me rethink uh, because as I said there are years where I battle with myself um, you know saying you know it's the same thing every year and there's nothing different and um, I just don't have the spoons to deal with it. So, but, you know, he he does bring in some of the other things that face our community when it comes to equality. And in it, he mentions the legal aspect of things, um, housing, you know, and all of these other issues where we still have work to do. Yes, we may have made incredible strides towards marriage equality, and probably very soon uh, we will see that as kind of the gold standard. Okay, yes, we've we've reached that point, but there's still more to go um, with other issues involved as well, both politically, legally, and socially. Yeah, I was disturbed to read, and I guess I shouldn't. I wasn't surprised, but I was disturbed to read uh, some of the conservative leaders talking uh, already about, and even using the reference to Roe v. Wade battle. And you know, it's it's tiresome. It is utterly tiresome. I I believe in a person's right to believe in what they want, and a, and but you, your belief system ends where it forces me to act in a way that I, that are, that are not consistent with my belief systems and it's frustrating to know that we're about to have um a, a hopefully a very positive announcement um Monday and uh, to know that that will immediately be overshadowed to some degree by um those who uh the religious right um and and I'm not couching all religious um faith groups cuz we have allies in the faith community as well um, but it is it is tiring to know that that's gonna that's gonna be a battle. But you know, I, that's probably one of the arguments for why we we will continue to need pride. Yeah, and I and I agree, and it's something that we do need to have. And even though a lot of us seem to be rather tired uh, of the struggle and and the battle, uh, we need to kind of support each other that are feeling a little bit down in the dumps and not having the energy to continue the fight, uh, but to fight nonetheless. And I, I think uh, one of the challenges that we're going to have going forward is getting uh, the younger members of our community involved with uh, civil engagement and civic engagement uh, and political engagement um, in these areas and um i'm i'm not sure we're going to be able to do that what do you what do you think about that well i think um i i I do believe that it is going to require a consistent um effort i think if you look at the parallel of how aids and hiv became a manageable um a manageable disease. It was, it's no longer an immediate death sentence. Um, and you look at the parallel of what activism, how activism dropped off and how connected we were, uh, seemed to be breaking down at, as you know, over time that, that rallying cry issue, 
became a much more manageable issue. We kind of lost our way as a community uh, in in the world of activism. Uh, and, And I think, you know, as awful, as awful, awful, awful as that disease is and, and what it did to so many people, um, it was a, it was a place, it was a theme that brought us together. And I, I worry about that in terms of what, what do, uh, what brings us together now? What, what's going to bring in those young folks to stay actively involved? And that's why it's, it's, it's heartwarming to see people as young as Buck leading and a pride event and the person that's replacing him is the same age. So, you know, there's hope, I think. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, it's going to have to be a continued effort to draw young talented folks into these leadership roles and advocacy and policy and so on. Absolutely. What, um, while we're talking about touchy topics, how about, (laughs) how about fundraising? How about corporate sponsorship? Oh, (laughs) all right. Let let's let's take fundraising uh, first, okay? Because there's kind of a beef that I have, and something that I've noticed, um, you know, in my for- former former uh, work position, I would work downtown, and there is a plaza, uh, a Seventh Street Plaza that is downtown that on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays during the summertime. A little farmer's market gets uh, set up. And um, this is actually private property. And there is um, a little, you know, bronze plaque that is on either end of the plaza that basically says that this is private property and that there shouldn't be any solicitation. But it abuts and adjoins a public sidewalk. And so when you go to this market on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you see uh, what I, I start calling uh, guerrilla fundraising. Uh, you're at a public event, uh, and suddenly there are these, in, in most cases, I'm not going to say all because I don't want to overgeneralize, but in most cases you see young, passionate people, and they're clad in a, a matching T-shirt that has an organization uh, printed on it, and they have clipboards, and they very aggressively try and engage you in conversation to ask for money. Mm-hmm. And um, I find this tactic so distasteful. Now, is this and, is this booth based, or are they just sort of out? Uh, they're out. There are tables mm-hmm. um, that align on the plaza, but at the ends of uh, of of this plaza are these people, and they stand two at one end, two at the other, mm-hmm. and like sentinels. And you can't pass by without them trying to. You know, a lot of times it's like dodgeball. You know, and this you, is not the official pride organization. No, this isn't the official pride organization. This is just a farmer's market. But this technique is also being used at the Minneapolis Pride mm. by the Human Rights Campaign. Mm. Now, the Human Rights Campaign has a very big booth. I'm sure they pay big bucks for it. And it is fully staffed. Uh, you know, there's probably a dozen volunteers behind the tables that have all this literature but then they have a dozen or so other people 
using this same kind of technique of this kind of this guerrilla fundraising where they have their HRC uh, T-shirts on and they engage you in conversation and try and get you to make a financial contribution to the human rights campaign. And we'll kind of set aside the issues that I particularly don't participate. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that might be uh, another topic, but often the only way that you can kind of not get asked at least a half a dozen times when you are passing through this area yeah. is to take one of their HRC stickers and stick it on you. That seems to be the mm. signal that you've already been hit up right. and that you don't need to be asked again. Well, I'm surprised at your at the official Pride event that your Pride committee allows that. Our The only entities, I believe, um, Romo, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're still in the chat room, I know you were having issues with the chat room, but um, I believe the only people who are allowed to actually walk about and raise money is the actual Pride committee itself. Now, you can raise money in your booth, uh, and, and here too, uh, HRC has a, a large booth. But I, I've I've seen that uh, somewhat aggressive as they stand in front of their booth. But I have not seen them walking about as you described. Um, well, they're walking about. Um, you know, they they have a tendency to stick within their area. Right. So I think they're kind of rules lawyering there mm -hmm. uh, about you know being in front of their booth, but they're still. Uh, using this really obnoxious fundraising technique. And I'm starting to see this more and more at, at other sort of public events. And how do you, I mean, I'm from the land of Minnesota nice. Okay. <laughs> right. We, we're very polite to your face. You know, we <laughs> might be talking behind your back and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, we have a tendency to not be combative, aggressive, assertive. Right. You know, we're demure people, Midwest, you know. And it's... <laughs> sure, you betcha. <laughs> you know, there are times where I'd like to tell them to go take a flying leap. Yeah. Um, but that's not something we do culturally here in this neck of the woods. So. Right. What do you? Um, what does the Minnesota corporate sponsorships of things like Pride? What, how does that look? Well, you know, it's really grown, and so you start to see. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, a little company called Target. I believe I have heard of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're one of the official sponsors of Pride. As a matter of fact, I've seen a lot of. Um, uh, photographs on social media uh this june every single target store here in, at least in the twin cities and this may be company-wide has a specific pride section hmm. where you can buy all of your pride merchandise to i have not seen that in atlanta okay well it it's here in minnesota and uh there's quite a selection I haven't seen one myself. I'm curious. I may go later tomorrow and and check it out. But and we also have other companies like um, Fortune 500, like General Mills. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have University of Minnesota is there. You have some very big 
kind of car makers. Sure. You know, you've got Nissan or uh, Suzuki, and you've got other makers of of automobiles there, and it just uh, feels in many respects like a trade show. And there is a lot of um, clamor for the gay dollar. We get a we get a lot of that in Atlanta, um, the, and and I've actually heard a lot of people complain about it. And that's actually a question I asked Buck about corporate sponsorship, and he gave, as you might imagine, a different perspective on it, uh, and one that I thought was uh, good. Let's play this clip, this uh, brief clip, and uh, hear what Buck has has to say on it. Okay. Is there any uh, sponsor plugs you need to get in for your sponsors? Uh, just uh, encourage folks to look at our website, look at our mobile app, uh, see who the sponsors are, and continue to patronize those local businesses, our small business partners, and those companies that uh, benefit us. A lot of people sometimes say, oh, it's too corporate, it's too this. Yeah. But what I need people to understand is that for every corporation that's a sponsor of an event like Atlanta Pride yeah. or any other organization, Black Hours, that are out there, there are employees that get to come to work and be out and be open and live their life with full equality and not worry, am I going to be fired because I have a picture of my same-sex partner on my desk or in my locker Very, um, in yeah. the break room. And so, you know, there's employee resource group for each of those companies and those businesses where people are able to be a part of the equality movement within their own company, within their own industry, and within our community. And sometimes those things are nationwide. Um, you know, so we um, we just want people to understand that it's not just about, oh, I want money and that's all I care about. We're, right. we're talking about all the things that come together to build a community. And part of that is having, you know, the economic power as a company to say, we're going to donate money. We're mm-hmm. going to say this is an important um, priority for our company, and we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Important. And, you know, and just to use Coke and Delta as examples, they have people who come from all over the world who work for them who want to come and work at Atlanta Pride because this is where their world headquarters is, mm-hmm. and this is the pride in their company's hometown. So there are Delta flight attendants and Delta ticket agents and people who plan their lives around flying to Atlanta for three or four days to march in the parade, to work in the um, market booth, to represent their company at their company's hometown. That was um, that was Buck again. Buck Cook with the, uh, Atlanta Pride. You know, he he brought up a good point. I have seen a, a dramatic increase in the amount of uh, uh, sponsors, but I, I do think there's a. Um, I don't want to call them a necessary evil because, you know, as he just pointed out, there's a human connection to some of that too. I thought it was an, an interesting point. I know we're running out of time here. Yeah, we are. Maybe we can pick up that particular discussion about corporations and what sort of role that they play uh, in our in our community at a later time. But I just want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who took the time to wake up early on Saturday morning and join us in the chat room. I'm going to briefly run down the list. Uh, BGSS Matt, Big Fatty, a big thank you to you. Daddy Dave, Gary in Albuquerque, GFN General, Gus Chad, Luke Miller, Mark FTL. Thank you, Romo. That Blue Jeans Guy, Adam Burns, Turnip Head, Blind Guy J, Cronehaven, The Fay Driver, Gary in Kentucky, J- Jaded Tristan, JB, Josie, Kathy Bacon, thank you, Mean Keen, and all the MIBs that are there, Not, P-I-M-C-T, Taylor, RT Cruisers, Secretly Timid, John, uh, The 5x5, five five and Toppy Smellity. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, This is Mark in St. Paul.
And this is George in Atlanta. And this is the North and South of Things. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North and South of Things. More information available at northandsouthofthings.com. Follow Mark on Twitter at Laughing Buddha. That's L-A-F-F-I-N-G-B-U-D-D-H-A. And George at George in Atlanta. Our podcast theme music is provided by podcastthemes.com.